Glad to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Kurt. If, if you're visiting with us, we are uh, really thrilled and honored that you're here, um, and especially as, as we just uh, continue to meet together and, and continue to uh, get to see each other's faces and maybe give a socially distant wave or something like that. Uh, glad that you're here with us on this, this Sunday morning. And uh, I thought a lot about you know th- this, this sermon uh, throughout the, this past week. I, I know all of us are you know, dealing with life in different ways right now with the way everything is coming at us. Uh, but I thought a lot about uh, Pastor Matt's sermon uh, last week. If, if you missed it, he talked about change, and in particular about how, you know, we are to some degree, a lot of us still like to be blockbuster in a Netflix kind of world, you know, and, and that was his, his analogy he used. Or another good one you see is we're still Sears in an Amazon world. Uh, and, and the fact that change is, is coming, whether we like it or not. And, and I thought about this because, you know, I grew up, and, and I, I say I like to, to think I grew up really in about the perfect window because I, I still know how to do things in an old school kind of way, but was young enough when the technological revolution hit that I could adapt to it pretty easily too. Now that said, I still find myself grumbling and complaining about things that are not that big of a deal. I saw this on Facebook the other day. My wife actually shared it uh, that that said, uh, welcome to adulthood. You get mad when they rearrange the grocery store now. (laughs) And I thought about that because I don't mind change, but when I can't find the Velveeta, there's a problem, okay? Now, for most of us these days, we probably just do like the Walmart pickup thing, and you don't even have to go in the store and... And that's great, except for when they substitute, you know, they're out of something and they substitute it for something that's not even close to what they, you had picked in the, the beginning and, and all of that. But I thought about this and, and thought about, you know, the last six months that it's just kind of been constant change. In fact, I was talking with, with Greg and talking with the music team before uh, service uh, just about what it is we as a church are, quote, allowed to do right now. And honestly, none of us have a clue because it changes like every couple of days, you know? It's like just constant change. And, and, and what, I, what we kind of have, have realized is when change just runs free, if you're not able to just stay in front of it all the time, it just wears you down. And I think that's where a lot of us have, have gotten. And, and we've, we've been in this series called Curveball, talking about how life can throw curveballs at you uh, Sometimes you're ready for them, sometimes you're not. In the first two weeks of this series, we looked at a couple of the curveballs life throws at you, in particular the curveball of compromise. We looked at, <clears throat> at Daniel, how he uh, stood his ground and, and, and continued to, to pray on his knees in his room, even though prayer had been outlawed. He continued to be faithful to God. And then last week we looked at change. And then today and next week, we're going to kind of look at two outcomes of these curveballs, curveballs that really are more about us individually that can become about us collectively, that can poison our relationships with God and others if we don't keep them in check. And today we're talking uh, about burnout. Next week we're going to talk about cynicism. So don't miss that one, because that's the one I think a lot of us struggle with these days, but talking about burnout. And, and, you know, I think about where 2020 has brought us to this point. Again, we said this throughout the series in the last several weeks, none of us on January 1st, when we were making our resolutions, said, well, I hope by August I get to go out in public. Like, that was none of our re- resolutions, right? But I don't know if anybody saw this picture uh, that just kind of encapsulates 2020 in a nutshell. 
This was taken in, in Northern California. I don't know if you can read the sign, but it says, wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance, stay safe, as a massive wildfire is engulfing the whole area. And, and the caption said, you know, this is 2020 in a nutshell. This is what our world has become right now, chaos and, 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 and craziness. And, and, you know, pardon the pun because of the, the, the wildfire there, but when we see things like this over and over, it leads to burnout. It leads to us just getting worn down and exhausted. If you've got a Bible, we're going to jump into the Old Testament today. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at the story of Elijah. And as you're getting to 1 Kings, it's, it's uh, fairly early in your Bible. It's part of the Old Testament narrative of Israel. And Elijah, one of the, the more well-known prophets that God sent to, uh, to Israel... And as you're, as you're getting there, I'll kind of set the stage here a little bit because Israel by this time has little, hardly anything to do with God. It's pretty, Israel has pretty well rejected God and moved on. They have false gods. They have false prophets. Uh, if you recall back a few weeks ago, we had those three chairs. We had the first chair. and We said that was David, all for God. He, he, he followed God with all of his heart. And the second chair was Solomon. He wanted to please God, but not at the expense of himself. And then his son, Rehoboam, three generations, Israel moves completely away from God. And from Rehoboam on down, the, <clears throat> God is not needed in Israel, basically, according to, to them. And the nation is split. There's Israel and there's Judah. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm trying to clear my throat as I talk today. Hopefully I can talk through all that. But as we, we see this, Israel's moved further and further away. They've got false gods, and there's a king in place now named Ahab. And you might know King Ahab's wife. Her name is Jezebel, one of the more evil people we read about in all of Scripture. But they've got this prophet Baal, or I'm sorry, this false god Baal, the statue that they're, they're to worship and bow down to and to kiss the feet of. And they've even raised up prophets to Baal to speak the word of truth through this false god to try and convince their people that this is the way to go. And Elijah is a prophet from the true God, our God. God never gave up on Israel, even though Israel turned away from him. He would still send a prophet to speak truth and do his work. And in 1 Kings 18, uh, we, we see that uh, Elijah squares off with hundreds of false prophets, prophets of Baal, and he slaughters all of them. I mean, he takes down an army by himself, and he doesn't really even get a scratch. And as we get into chapter 19, as you might guess, that doesn't set too well with the king and queen. Ahab and Jezebel aren't very happy about this. And that's where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So in other words, what's she saying? You're going to die, or I'm going to die. One of us is going to die. There's going to be more death. Now, file this away. Everything Elijah just did and the threat that Jezebel gives him, because look at the very next verse, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, Beersheba, just so you know, it's like as far south in Judah, which is south of Israel, 
Imagine that you're up in like Port London, you flee for your life, and you go to San Diego. Like that's as far down as you're going to go, right, and stay in the country. That's kind of what Elijah has just done here. He says he left his servant there, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Uh, I think about this with Elijah here because he's just accomplished incredible things. I mean, he's speaking the truth of God, and he knows it. He knows he comes from God. He knows he has the truth on his side. He knows he has the power of God. And yet what happens? He gets scared and overwhelmed, and he runs off. See, burnout is internal. There's nothing that that is outside of Elijah right now that he can't face. I mean, he just slaughtered hundreds of false prophets. And now two other people are, are angry at him. He can handle this. But what's happened is his situation outside of himself has become so big that it has clouded his vision of reality. And here's the thing about burnout, folks. Burnout comes when we pour ourselves into a situation and we get a result that doesn't meet our expectation. That's burnout. I like to think of it this way. It's one thing to work hard. And, and to work hard on a daily basis and, and over and over and exhaust yourself, if you're getting good results, you can keep doing that. But when you start getting results that don't meet the expectations or, or results that aren't good, suddenly all that hard work, you just kind of look around and go, man, what's the point? It's internal. Nobody's putting that pressure on you. You're putting it on yourself. And that's what's happened here with Elijah. His perception of the world has blurred his reality to what's actually happening. I mean, he won battle after battle for God. He was the voice of truth, and now what is he praying? I'm done, God, take my life. Anybody over the last six months gotten just so overwhelmed? You're like, God, if you just want to go ahead and end this thing right now, that'd be cool with me. I grew up in a church where we talked about the end times all the time. And I'm not going to get into that conversation right now. We can have that conversation another time if you want, but basically setting with the book of Revelation open in one hand and Fox News or CNN on the TV and just matching the stuff up. And, and you know, the more time has gone by, I've, I, I, you know, again, not to get into that conversation, but I, I told Jennifer the other day, I was like, you know, all my whole life I heard God's coming tomorrow. God's coming before you finish this thought and sentence. And my whole life I've thought, I want to grow up and have a family and experience life. And now I'm like, you know what, God, just go ahead. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And I think Elijah's there. I think he's so overwhelmed and caught up that he's he's there. But look at at God's response to him. Verse 5, it says, While he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. (laughs) Get a little snack, take another nap. (laughs) Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. This is Elijah. Again, keep the context here. This is Elijah, a powerful powerful prophet of God. 
one of the more powerful prophets we read about in Scripture. And God comes to him, and notice what God doesn't do. He doesn't beat him over the head with the truth. He doesn't say, pick yourself up, Elijah, you know better. He doesn't kick him in the pants. No, what's he do? He gives him food, and he gives him rest. He nourishes him. He takes care of him. And I think that maybe we need to think about this for a second here because how many times do we catch ourselves in a period of burnout and what we really need is a snack and a nap? <laughs> now, understand this. Don't, don't let that short-term fix get into your head as a permanent solution because some of you have been in a spot where you've been in permanent burnout or depression and all you can do is eat and sleep and that's not healthy either. But in short bursts, what does this do? This recharges you. This refreshes you. Because what we see here from Elijah and from God is that God doesn't give him an answer here. God doesn't give him reassurance here. God doesn't give him the whole purpose in in, in reasoning here. He just simply gives him what he needs so that he can continue on his journey. See, God knows Elijah needs to discover some of this stuff for himself. And I think about that with us because God rarely gives us the entire solution that we're looking for when we ask for it. Or at least he doesn't with me. Maybe, maybe you've got a better line to God than I do, and, and you get all the answers right then and there. But for me, I'm, I'm noticing when I look back, often I see God gave me just what I needed for that day. Remember that manna from heaven we read about in the Old Testament? He gives us enough to sustain us that day, and we carry on for the next day. And for Elijah, this is the reason I think it's a soul-searching journey for him. It's a 40-day and 40-night trip. That's a significant number in the Bible. We see often the number 40 involved with some sort of journey of discovery. The Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. 40, I think, leads this, this idea of there's something you need to learn along the way. And what we see often, we don't necessarily see it in the midst of it, but in, in, in looking back, we see that God uses these times of journey and these times of, of, of discovery that we can search our hearts and our souls and learn to lean into him and trust him more. Look what Elijah says to him in verse 9. It says, the Lord says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> He's like, well, you led me here, God. What do you think I'm doing? What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, God asks him a question that he knows the answer to, right? But sometimes God asks us those questions because he wants to know what our responses are. I do this with my kids sometimes. I know the answer to their question, but I want to hear their answer to the question. Because I want to see where they're coming from. But what's, what's Elijah reply with? Again, this mighty, powerful prophet of God. What does he play? The poor, pitiful me card. I'm all alone. I'm the only one who cares. Everybody else is dead or run off. It's just me, God. And now they're trying to kill me. You ever been there? You have to raise your hands. How many of you have been there lately? And here's what happens when we start to play this card. And I don't want to downplay it because we all deal with stuff. 
Then we start to play this card, but what we're telling God is, number one, I'm in this all alone, and number two, nobody has it as bad as I do right now. Because we're too focused on what's going wrong rather than what's going right. And that's what's happening here with Elijah. For whatever reason, he feels completely and totally alone. He sees the problem. They've rejected you. We can say that about our country and our world right now. We see the problem. They've rejected you, God. And I'm the only one who cares. That's where Elijah is coming from. See, another way that burnout comes is burnout comes when you believe you're the only one who cares or the only one who's affected by the outcome. And that's Elijah right now. You're exhausting yourself. You're putting in all the energy and effort in the world, but what you find out with burnout when, when you've got this attitude is that burnout's self-inflicted because you're too caught up in your own reality. See, burnout happens when we start to put our own worries and our own misconceptions of what's happening in front of where God's leading us to go. I mean, think about this. How many times have, have you been in a period of burnout, and when you look back, you realize maybe you're burnout because you kept everybody pushed away? Uh, there's a phrase that so many of us like to say that if we say it enough can lead to burnout. It's this phrase right here. I'm too busy. Hey, Kurt, you want to go do something this weekend? I'm too busy. And why do we say this? Because this is a badge of honor. Because a lot of you grew up in a generation like me or before me where the harder and longer you worked, the better you were. The more you were providing, the more you were doing for your family and for others. And you see, here's the problem with this idea of I'm too busy. It leads to this inflated or false sense of importance. We think that the world's not going to go on without our contribution that our job isn't going to go on without our contribution, that our ministry is not going to go on without our contribution that day. And when we do this enough, we start to almost play God. Folks, God's got that job taken care of. He's a lot better at it than I am. He's a lot better at it than you are. So here's the problem, though. When we get into burnout, we find the consequences of burnout. You know the number one consequence of burnout is? A loss of joy. How many times have you been in a spot where the very activities you do to bring you joy, you just avoid completely because they feel like a burden. You're just tired. You don't want to go mess with it. How many times have maybe a job or a task that you do normally to just escape suddenly feels like, work, and the weight of the world is on top of it. That's burnout. And when that's the case, when burnout steals you from your joy, typically our escape is isolation. Now again, don't confuse burnout leading you to isolation as the same thing with our short-term needs for isolation. We all need short-term isolation or short-term just solitude, maybe is a better word for it. We need that to recharge, especially if you're introverted. You need that to recharge. Isolation from burnout is different. It's when you start pushing people away and you start shutting down voices and you start shutting down uh, everybody around you. And when you do this, folks, it makes it very hard to see or hear anything from God because you're too busy trying to fix every situation yourself. 
If it sounds familiar, it's because a lot of us have probably experienced it. Maybe we've experienced it recently. I've been there. Maybe you have too. See, when we surround ourselves with busyness, when we find ourselves in isolation, we start looking for God only in the big, loud, chaotic voices of the world because we can't hear him individually anymore. Look at Elijah here. He's in the cave, and, and, and he's, uh, you know, pouring out his heart to God, playing the poor pitiful me card, and what's God tell him? Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. How often do you look for God and listen for his voice in the big, loud, chaotic happenings in the world. There's plenty of those right now. How many of you are trying to find God through the midst of everything that's happening with COVID, with what we can believe or not believe, with uh, the civil rights movement and what we can believe or not believe, with the upcoming election and what we can believe or not believe, with the wildfires that are raging through California, with the two hurricanes that are about to hit the Gulf Coast at the same time. How many of us are looking for God in the midst of those big, big things? See, we all want God to be obvious to us. We want the flashing neon sign of God telling us where to go next and what to do next. And, and maybe that, that flashing neon sign that God is, is telling you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And God, I know it, it's in the Bible, but I need to hear you say it more. That's what we look for, right? See, God needs us to keep looking beyond and through the chaos. He needs us to open our ears and open our eyes for His voice. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced a severe storm in the Midwest. Sometimes they produce tornadoes, sometimes they just produce incredible lightning and wind. When we were back in Oklahoma in, in May visiting family, uh, we, we stayed one day long enough to catch one. <laughs> night before we left, we got to go to the storm shelter, and my kids got their first true oaky experience, crammed into a hot, humid <laughs> storm shelter. Not much uh, air flowing through there. Unfortunately, we, we didn't get a tornado that night. The sirens did go off. But I remember back about 12 years ago, a tornado hit a town called Pitcher, Oklahoma, just north of us. At this point, Pitcher was largely abandoned. It was an old mining town. At its peak, had about 40,000 people living there. But after World War II, the, the mine shut down, and the town just slowly died off. And actually, the ground was so contaminated, the government had moved most of the people out. There were only a handful of people who refused to leave there. But this tornado came through, an extremely strong, powerful tornado. We were about 10 or 15 miles south, actually getting ready to play softball on a Saturday night, we could see just the blackness coming across the northern sky. Couldn't see the tornado, but we could see the storm. And we heard about, almost immediately heard about what all happened. 
My brother and I, we, we were together that night. We actually heard that a friend of ours, their house got hit. So we hopped in his car and took off up there. We kind of found some back roads to get in. The highway patrol had the highways already shut down, but we got in there. And by the time we got there, the storm was long past. It was gone. And we're walking around, and I mean, there's just nothing. If you've ever been on the aftermath of an EF4 tornado, but there's nothing. There's a foundation of a house, and no materials of that house left. And I remember walking around looking at the carnage, and my brother and I, neither one could say a word to each other. But I remember looking up and just thinking, if I wasn't looking at the carnage right now, I think this was a perfect day. It's this peace, this calmness. The weather was perfect. So it's almost like the weather had no idea what just came through and just happened. And, and I think about how, much, how many times God does something like that with us. We, we're so caught up in the big, huge, loud chaos that when it passes, we're just so exhausted, we just go ahead and say, forget it. And God's there talking to us. See, when we look through that chaos, when we look through that storm, we remember who God is, the God who calmed the storm with just his voice, the God who walked on top of that storm. That's who we're looking for. Folks, the world will bring chaos and confusion. God wants us to sit and listen and wait for that still, gentle whisper. Because I think if we do that, we get a change in perspective. We stop looking at at what's going on in our lives and we start seeing his his bigger picture. Back to to the story here, the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire have passed and The gentle whisper has happened. Verse 13 says, And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever feel the need to repeat a conversation with God? I mean, I have to repeat it with my kids all the time. And then they feel the need to repeat it with me, and my response is normally, yes, Amelie, I heard you the first time, and the second time, and the 23rd time. <laughs> the Lord tells him and says, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael, the king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Snaphat, uh, from the town of Abel-Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to or kissed Baal. Elijah cries out that he's all alone, and what's God's response? Now he's beating him over the head with the truth. Elijah, you need to remember your place in all of this. Specifically, he tells him two things. First, go build a team. You think you're on your own, go build a team. Go make this person king and and this other person uh, his helper. And by the way, go ahead and pick your replacement. You're on the clock. (laughs) Start training your replacement. I think about that because... One of the things we were taught in Bible college and in a residency that I was a part of is start training your replacement from day one. You're replaceable. And folks, here's the thing. All of us in ministry need to be training, mentoring 
grooming a replacement. Why? Because if we don't, the church isn't going to last very long. All of us that are in a position of leadership are temporary. The church is not. The church will endure and continue. But second, what's he tell Elijah? There are literally thousands of others waiting for you. You are not alone. There's thousands who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed the statue. Folks, let me give you some maybe truthful assurance here. If you catch yourself thinking that you are too important, we're all alone in this world, especially when you're trying to maybe live out a gospel-focused life or you're trying to lead a ministry or you're trying to take uh, the gospel into a world that's rejected Jesus, I need to give you just a simple, truthful thought here, one that I have to tell myself a lot. God doesn't need any of us. This is the God who spoke and the world existed. He doesn't, like, need my limited skills here. Okay, if I need to take a couple of days off, I think God's going to be okay. He's going to survive. His church is going to survive. My participation is something He allows me to do, and He invites me to do. But He doesn't need any of our expertise. He's God. He wants us to be examples for Him. He wants us to to live out a life of Christ for the world. And I think about this because when you get caught up in burnout, that's so easy to forget. And often that mindset will lead you to burnout. So a quick question as as we wrap this up today, how do we avoid it? Or how do we overcome it? Maybe you're caught up in it and you say, I'm, I'm caught up, I'm burnt out right now. How do I overcome it? Or maybe you're saying, I don't want to get into it, so how do I avoid it? It's a simple answer. It's a biblical command. Remember your Ten Commandments? Mount Sinai where he sent Elijah, that's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. Remember number four on that list? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's what we do. We find time to take our foot off the gas pedal and get away from the normal, get away from the routine, and we Sabbath with God. Now, we read throughout kind of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, too, where the Sabbath was a commandment, it was a law, and it got to the point where people worshiped the Sabbath. Jesus clashed with the Pharisees a lot over the Sabbath. And the Sabbath restrictions were ridiculous. If you really get in and read the stuff you were and weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath, it's, you see where Jesus was coming from here. But Jesus made a very clear statement when he said that um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it's not just a rule, it's a gift. It's a creational gift. We see God model this himself. God creates the world in six days and on the seventh day rested. You think God was just worn out and needed a day off? No. He rested. Why? So he could celebrate what he had done. So he could celebrate. Remember, every time he created something, what does he say? It was good. And we need to do the same. And I'll be very honest with you. I'm not good at keeping the Sabbath. Why? Remember what we said earlier? I'm too busy. My wife gets on me all the time. You need to take time off. I can't. (laughs) My famous statement. You know, God can't survive without me. You know, I've got to be there. 
No, I need that reminder. You probably do too. See, here's the thing about the Sabbath, folks. It helps us rest. It helps us reset. It helps us recalibrate and refresh. It helps us get our minds where our minds need to be. We talked about those three chairs a couple of weeks ago. And we said the first chair, one of the things you have to do to stay in that first chair is recommit regularly. And Sabbath is a great way to recommit regularly. Why? Because you unplug your mind from the chaos and the crazy of the world and you remind yourself where you need to start your day in scripture and in prayer. When you're caught up in burnout, it's easy to push those things aside. Or you might read your Bible, but you know, you're just kind of reading it and plowing through it, and you're really not getting much out of it. Rest helps you focus. School year is starting back up across the country right now. I know here in Oregon, we've still got a few weeks. Actually, we don't even find out until later this week what's even happening with school yet, but that's another argument, another conversation. But all across the country, colleges are starting back up, and uh, the, the college where I went to Bible college, they start classes tomorrow. And so they spent last week with in-service. And um, I saw this picture that was, was shared. Um, this is one of their in-service days. And um, it's, it's kind of a, a crooked picture, but this was posted on their social media. The guy in the middle, on the, the back of the room there, in the kind of the turquoise sh- uh, shirt is Dr. Mark Scott. I've mentioned his name before because it's because of Mark Scott, I got in touch with Tom Moyers to wind up out here. Uh, serving you all. But something about Dr. Mark Scott, he is quite possibly the most brilliant professor I've ever sat under. And not only brilliant academically, but brilliant spiritually. I had a preaching class from Mark, and I learned more about the Bible and the nature of God in that preaching class than maybe any of my other classes I had. That's not a knock on my other professors in my other classes. That's just who Mark is. It's impossible to have a conversation with him and not come out of it feeling spiritually richer. It just, that's who he is. This is a man who has probably forgotten more about the nature of God than a lot of us will ever learn. He's just brilliant. And they asked Mark, who once upon a time was the academic dean of Ozark, he he stepped out of that role and went and pastored for a while and then came back and They asked him, you've been here about the longest, you probably know more about this than any of the rest of us, would you train and teach our faculty today? So Mark gets up, that's the actual preaching classroom there, he gets on the little stage, and his line was this, before we can think about stepping in a classroom to teach our students the Bible, we're going to get on our knees and remind ourselves to pray to God. And I think about that because, again, this is a man who oozes spirit. He's one of these guys, when he talks and prays, you feel the presence of God in the room. And this is why. This is why. Because this is not Mark putting on a show because he knew there was a camera in the back of the room. This isn't Mark putting on a show so the rest of the faculty can go, oh, I would love to be like Mark one day. This is just Mark. This is who he is at his very core. Mark's gone through burnout. He's pastored in a church where they they chewed him up and spit him out. It was tough. 
But Mark survived. Why? Because he kept his perspective on God. We're going to transition. We're going to do this a little bit differently this morning. We're going to transition right into our time of communion. Because this is as simple a way for us to start that process of refreshing and recharging. If you didn't catch one of these cups on your way in, uh, if you let us know, you can throw your hand up. We've got somebody who can bring them along to you. But when we come to our time of communion, this is, is our opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. See, he went to the cross so that we could, we could be saved. He went to the cross to, to wash our sins away. But he also went to the cross to redeem and restore our lives. He didn't go to the cross and die and get buried and rise again so that we could live a burned out, miserable life. He did so that we could live to the fullness of God.